Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, a podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. If you're looking for valuable business advice that you can apply today, then you're going to enjoy hearing from my next guest, Matt Alderton. Now, Matt is the founder and owner of BX, which is the largest and fastest growing business networking group in Australia. Now, Matt spends much of his time talking to, mentoring, and coaching other business owners on how to achieve success in business and in life. So what makes Matt qualified to do this? Well, he has founded and exited a number of six- and seven-figure businesses that are really diverse in nature, from video stores and subway franchises to founding a business called Integrated Workforce Solutions, which is a tech-based rostering business that just so happened to be sold recently for a cool 16 mil. Now, what I love about Matt is his down-to-earth and pragmatic approach. Too often, I think we hear stories of businesses that have grown to these extraordinary levels, and I always sort of wonder what the average business owner actually takes away from those stories. While Matt has obviously achieved some amazing success, he's out there helping business owners of all sizes every single day. His advice is sensible, and there is no illusion about having to get things right every time. And that's the beauty of this episode. Matt just shares his journey openly and talks about some of the things that you and I need to be considering as a business owner on our journey. So if you're out there trying to make a difference in your world and grow your business, then this is an episode not to be missed. This is Matt Alderton. G'day, Matt. Welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well. Really well. How are you? Great to be here. Great to be on the show. And great to see you again. Yeah, mate, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, you know full transparency here. I've known Matt now for a number of years, so uh, and and just knew that his story would make a great addition to our audience, and that you'll all uh, appreciate his story and what he's doing these days. So, uh, so yeah, Matt, I really appreciate you making the time. Pleasure, mate. Would you like to maybe you could help us by kicking off and just giving us uh, a bit of your background, just so people you know understand who Matt Alderton is. Okay, I'll, well, I'll try and keep it nice and short. <laughs> it's, it's been a bit going on over the past uh, decade or so uh, from a small business perspective. But uh, as, a, as a heads up, I'm what you probably call a serial entrepreneur. I've done far too much in far too little a time. Uh, I learned a lot along the way. Uh, some of the highlights, I guess, uh, mainly, mainly retail and hospitality based. Uh, opened a number of Subway restaurants. Uh, so I had uh, four Subway restaurants. I had uh, a couple of video stores and also some cafes as well. Uh, and that was the retail and hospitality stuff. I, I'd spent uh, probably the 
former decade uh, working in retail, uh, having uh, been the GM for a company that owned 40 video shops. So spent a lot of time in that industry and I love the video industry. It was, while it lasted, it was a really great uh, industry to be part of, uh, but it certainly told me and and taught me a lot of lessons about uh, what to do and not to do in business, but um, so much around service and and, um, providing raving fans experiences for customers and stuff. So great experience there. And I was able to translate that into the businesses that I started, the retail and hospitality businesses. Uh, but then uh, through the journey of opening retail and hospitality, I, I kind of saw there was some real gaps in the market in terms of the support services around uh, retail and hospitality. And so I, you know, just being that, you know, creative thinker, I developed some uh, systems and tech around helping support me and my team and my business and uh, created some pretty amazing products that just weren't available in the marketplace. Now, if we think back, uh, one of those was, that was developed back in about 2005. Uh, so it was a few years ago now. Now, we're talking pre-Facebook. So that gives you some perspective of, uh, of, of where things were at uh, in terms of technology. And then obviously from, uh, uh, from what I've learned about how to, you know, what, what my businesses needed and what I could create in terms of technology, uh, when you come up with solutions like that, people... Uh, tend to learn about those solutions and hear about those solutions. And and one of those was uh, an online rostering and payroll company. And what I'd been doing is uh, through Excel and and that I'd been, ent- you know, typing in manual timesheets and rosters and then having a, an accounts person that in my office and inputting all this data. And we had up to 200 staff working at any one time across these businesses. It was just like such a stupid process. <laughs> but when we went online, there was just nothing available at all uh, to, you know, help sort of systemize and, and create a process that sort of automated a lot of this. Uh, so we built it. We actually found a, a timesheets company that was online that was had these online timesheets that they were creating like these CSV imports. So you'd manually do the uh, hours for each team member online, then you'd import that into your payroll system. Uh, we just took that a step forward and created a, an online rostering, so automated rostering, so based on rules and automations and some real basic AI, uh, and then took that through uh, and uh, were able to have this transparency across our rosters, across all of our sites so that we knew what our managers were rostering because that's like the number one cost you got to really manage in, uh, in retail that and your cost of goods but uh you know you can have some you know reasonable uh, accountability with cost of goods it's really easy to blow out your rosters very quickly and that's a massive cost and and retail and hospitality is a low margin business so you need to be able to really costly cost effectively manage that uh so yeah we developed that and that went spectacularly well for us over a number of years and developed a few other tech solutions uh some just for my own businesses some i actually was giving away i created one called Autofast, which was just uh, an ordering app for small business for for cafes and restaurants and we're just giving that away to people as well uh, but I, I was always looking for solutions for myself, my business, for what, what could make things better. Um, and uh, I, I love the education element to small business. And, and I found, and that sort of led me into uh, where BX is today. But early days, I, I just loved working with team members and education. And, and I uh, joined with a guy called John Maxwell, 
He's a leadership kind, leadership guy in the US, uh, pretty well famous. He's written about 60 books on leadership. He's probably the number one leadership guru worldwide. I was really fortunate to be able to spend some time with him over uh, about 12 months and then um, do some education, get some mentoring off him. And then ultimately, I joined a program that he started, which uh, gave me access to all of his content and material. So I was training in this John Maxwell leadership uh, material. Uh, just loved it. I love the education side of it. I love working mainly with small business owners and corporates, um, not even under an, um, a, a name or a brand or anything like that. It was just Matt doing it and I loved it. So I then sort of morphed that and, and created a company called BX where it was about delivering education for small business. And after running that for a couple of years, uh, after every post-event survey that we um, that we had, the, the post-event survey, uh, would always give me feedback along the lines of, hey, you know, you need to do more networking at your events. And we were running events like with a 1,000 people down to, you know, 50, 60 people size events. So real different scope of size. But every single event we ran was a, uh, the feedback always was, you need to do more networking. And so I did a lot of networking as a small business owner. Referrals were a major part of the business. Uh, And through the different types of networking that I did, um, I I actually built those businesses. And BX, um, significantly, I built BX as as off the back of referrals, uh, which was pretty fantastic, which uh, taught me that there was a real, uh, you know, opportunity to help educate people in this space, but also to get more networking happening across the events that we were running. Uh, and then one of the networking groups that I was part of decided that um, they were going to, you know, either shut shop or sell. And, um, you know, when someone basically says to you, they're going to either shut down or sell, you know, you can get it for a pretty good price. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I decided that uh, not a very good sales tactic, by the way. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> I was about to say, everybody listening there, there's your number one tip for the day. Don't ever say that you're thinking of shutting the doors. <laughs> So I I, um, uh, had this conversation with them and uh, we ended up, they had about 10 sites across, 10 groups across Sydney and I um, bought them out and I closed a few of them. We started up and running. We had about 70 odd members uh, when we first started running. That was back in 2016. That was the first networking that we did. Uh, and um, that fast became uh, now we've got almost 2,000 platinum members. We're you know, like on a pretty good trajectory at the moment. We've launched, we're launching next week in in New Zealand face to face events, and uh, and we're launching online in the US uh, next in October and face to face at the beginning of next year. So we've we've grown pretty quick. Uh, it's been pretty exciting. I've learned a lot along the way. Uh, of this business as well. It's kind of like building your parachute on the way down. Uh, but it's, it's it's certainly been very exciting and doing something that I absolutely love. And I kind of lost the love for the retail and hospitality uh, along the journey. You know, 10 years in that was probably long enough. And uh, I only sold my last shop in 2018. And, uh, and I actually sold, can you believe I sold my last business my last shop was a video store, and actually, I sold it in Jan- January or February 2019. Was the last business I sold that was a video store. Wow! So, uh, just <laughs> I, I still remember Blockbuster shutting down, and uh, you know, my local blo- Blockbuster in Lane Cove there, and it was like, oh, this was such a pivotal moment because I don't know how much money I spent in that place, but it was a lot. <laughs> I'm late fees, I bet. Totally, totally. Oh man, so so uh, so much to unpack just from what you've said already. Yeah. And, and before I go back in time, just spell out for everybody what BX does exactly. 
Yeah, cool. So BX is uh, an events and education company for small business, and we run uh, probably close to 1,500, 1,800 networking events uh, across a year. Uh, they're all fortnightly networking events in local areas for small business owners to come together to grow their businesses through referral marketing. So we are a marketing activity. Most people see networking as sales. It is There's no sales that happen at networking or there shouldn't be. It's all about marketing. So we create those referral marketing opportunities by connecting up small business owners with their ideal referral partners. And we do that uh, online across the globe and locally through our local and uh, regional groups across Australia and New Zealand as well. So, Matt, one of the things, you know, that, that I really love is you were just talking about networking not being about sales, you know, that it's a, that it's a marketing activity. Can, can you just explain that for me a little bit more? Yeah. So, I guess most people, when they come into a networking event, they come in there because they need more sales. So, they go, oh, yeah, you know, I need to make more money in my business. I need to find more clients. So, I've been told to do networking as a way to get more clients. And that's absolutely true. So, you will get more clients by doing networking, but you don't find those clients at a networking event. Most people, when they come along to a networking event, are basically looking at the people in the room and making some observation mentally about who will potentially buy for them or not. Uh, and that is the biggest trap that many people make when they walk into a networking room. And it's it's not their fault because we've been trained to do this over the years because most people at networking events are selling. So we try and educate our clients, uh, whether they're at a BX event or otherwise, to think not about who can buy from them, but what opportunities they can create for other people in the room. And it was really great. I was actually having a chat um, just before this on another podcast with Michael Griffiths. And uh, Michael Griffiths is the referral marketing guru. And he, is, he talks about that if we're only focused on serving others, we'll create so many more opportunities down the track for ourselves. But really, don't even worry about that. Just focus on what can I do to help and support other people when I'm at a networking event. So when you meet someone new at a networking event, the questions you should ask them are, tell me about what you do. How can I help you right now? Or is there anyone I can connect you with right now? You ask questions like that of someone that you meet at a networking event that are in absolutely no way about you selling to them. You'll probably make this person fall off their chair for starters, but you'll also, you'll make them realize that, hey, I, I should probably ask some questions of a similar nature back to you. But if if they don't, the opportunities that are created off that back of that conversation are always huge. And the more people we have this conversation with, the more opportunities we can create for others at the same time. Because when we're having those conversations, we're learning about other people. We're learning about how we can help them, which helps us introduce them to more people as we have those conversations with more people as well. Because networking is a marketing event. You're there to grow your business by building relationships outside the room. So you want to create relationships. You need to create referral partnerships. And of course, you will meet some people in the room that will be great referral partners for you. But if you ask for them for people outside the room, you'll get connected with great people that are in people's broader networks that can create some amazing opportunities for you. And that's what we really help people do in networking events at BX. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I, I think most people who hear this will be familiar with networking groups out there and have been to meetings or whatever else. And, uh, you know, from what I know of BX and having been a member of BX, you know, for quite a long time, I found that that was a real differentiator, the way you guys approach this. So, you know, I think that's that's a, a, a real key um, thing that people should consider. Um, what about expectations as people come in? You know, it, 
what I've always found with a lot of networking meetings that, that you know, this whole sales thing is they, they go to a meeting or two and they expect to be flooded with sales. You know, is there a, if people are taking this outward approach, surely it's not about trying to get a deal today. It's about building a longer term pipeline. I mean, is that a, is that a fair comment? Yeah, totally. And, and, and the thing to think about is what is my average sale worth? Your average sale usually depicts the trust formula. If you've got a high average sale, then it usually takes you a longer time to get a new potential client from a connection that you've made through networking. If you're a low average uh, sales uh, per client, then you'll probably get faster sales. You'll just get less, like you'll get more of them, uh, but they'll build to a, a higher figure. So as an example, you could be a business coach. Business coach, you might be worth 25,000 bucks a year. It's a pretty high uh you know, income through one one client on its own, uh, it might take you a year before you get a referral uh, that turns into a potential new client. You might get a few referrals, but it might take you a year. But you know what? A 25 grand return off one referral partner over a year is pretty good. We would encourage you to build five to 10 referral partners over that year. So you're getting five to 10 coaching clients over that period there. Uh, but if you're, a, a, say, a printer, Printing's a pretty low trust game. You, you know, you're, you're pretty confident that you're going to get what you ask for. And generally, if you don't, you won't pay for it until you get it what you ask for. So it, it is pretty reliable uh, from that perspective. So you can, and you can understand the, the concept here that you might be spending 300 bucks on your business cards. Uh, you, you don't need to, you know, do a lot of research into the printer to know whether or not they're going to deliver that card. You've got the the PDF. You're going to send it to them. They're going to print it. They're going to do it. You're going to pay them 300 bucks. Those kind of referrals come really easy and they come quite quickly because there's low trust there. Um, you don't need to have a high level of trust. So think about the different types of businesses. Think about your average client size and, and how much income you get off that particular client. And that would usually depict depict how long the uh, uh, it would take to get clients. But yeah, it is, it is one of those uh, longer term games. But the thing I like about what we do at BX is we don't link your return to your membership. We link it to the relationships you build. So if you build some, you know, five to 10, 15, 20 amazing referral partners, and then, you know, that's kind of sustaining your business, you don't need to continue to be a member to maintain those relationships there. You, you have to manage those irrespective of your uh, membership. Whereas I think there's a lot of networking out there that kind of hangs on off this exclusivity factor and hangs off, you know, if you aren't a member, we're going to give your uh, referrals and your opportunities to somebody else. I think that is kind of very old school thinking. I think we need to help people build businesses for the future that uh, are not tied to us. Uh, whereas the interesting thing is actually we find that even when people get busy, and they're delivering to their clients that they're still engaged in the network. They may not want as many new opportunities, but they love the community element of BX because you know being uh, and being supported by people and having those relationships with your peers, I think, is a really important part of being in business. And I think you've got to create an environment and culture where that happens as well, without the need to have any deliverability. So you don't have to always turn up. You don't have to refer. You don't have to invite people. You just, you know, your engagement will depict the results you want, but you're not being, um, you know, hit over the head with a stick if you don't perform. So you've got to have this balancing effect of, um, you know, what you put in, you'll get out. But, you know, just turning up sometimes to be in the community is just as important as, as um, the deliverabilities of it as well. 
Yeah, that, that's fantastic. You've, you've mentioned a few times, you know, talking about this sort of coaching and learning and education, and I, I, well, I come back to one of your previous comments talking about John Maxwell and, and that sort of side of things. I, I think, you know, people who heard your intro and all the various things you'd done, I mean, I, I think a lot of people assume that with somebody with all that experience, you know, gosh, that you perhaps don't need coaches, that you know it all, that you should be, you know, it, I just find it interesting because I think the most successful people in the world continue to get sort of coaches or some sort of support. I, you know, I, what's your view on this? Because, it, you know, and, and talk to me a little bit more about the sort of coaches and mentors you've had in your life. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I would say that uh, if you want to be the best at what you do, you have to have a coach. Think about uh, the comparison to sporting elites. Is there any top-level sports person that – uh, is without a coach, uh, not for very long. <laughs> they might get rid of them and move on, but but that doesn't happen that often either. People understand in in a sporting environment how crucial it is to have a great coach. You only need to you know follow your favourite football team or anything like that and watch. The, the coach that you know people uh, the the coach changed teams so you might have um, a great coach who does an amazing job takes a team to the grand final they win then the coach moves on to another team uh, and then they do the same thing with that team now that doesn't mean it's the coach winning but it takes a team with a successful coach uh, a great coach a great leader to be able to help them attain the results they want and you might be uh, an amazing person at what you do you might have the the technical skills the passion and everything you need to put you in a winning place but that doesn't mean that you're going to win because there's many things along the journey that are going to come across that you need to have a brain's trust uh, and whether that's a coach or, or a mentor or somebody that you can have that conversation with that will help level you up keep you accountable to those results so I know that I can I can track my success and my failures in life to the people I've had around me at the time, uh, and some of those are uh, advisors from a, uh, like accountants and advisors, uh, are mentors and coaches, and I know that I've been at my most successful when I've had a mentor and a coach uh, supporting me and, and holding me accountable. Uh, I also know that the the biggest failing of small business owners. Is usually, uh, you know, lack of of accountability, lack of action, and, and getting results, um, and lack of winning. We often we don't win uh, enough in in small business. We set ourselves these lofty goals of which we don't achieve in full, and so therefore we haven't really won. And there's this psychology of defeat all the time. So I, I'm always about setting goals that you know are achievable that that we can attain. Uh, they might be a stretch for us. But if we're stretching and hitting and stretching and hitting and stretching and hitting where we've got this psychology of winning and a coach or a, or a mentor is able to help us do more of that more often and get great results. That's great advice. Great advice. It, it's one of those things I think that, um, you know, I think sometimes business owners feel awkward about putting their hand up and asking for help. And, and I think that's the thing that I, I certainly try to dispel as well. It's uh, you, you can't be an expert at everything, right? And, and as your business grows, there's more and more going on. And, and let's be honest, I mean, I, I kind of often laugh. You know, I finished my MBA a couple of years ago, and um, by the time I'd finished it, the entire marketing course that I'd done was out of date. They hadn't even mentioned social media. You sort of think, you can't keep up with everything. You cannot be the expert of everything. So you, you've got to kind of work out where you're going to focus and who you're going to dial in to help you with the other stuff. 
That's right. I finished my uni in the 90s. So I I started uni in 1996. (laughs) So you can see that like how outdated a lot of it is. Actually, the only stuff, and I talk about this all the time, um, I joke about this with people who are going about their degrees and stuff like that. I've only used my accounting. That's the only part of a management degree that I've used. And I've been involved in business management for most of my life. That's the only small component that I've actually ever used. Um, That's not to dish university. I'm glad my doctors and my lawyers and all that have been to university. I think that's important. <laughs> but uh, but at the end of the day, it's about what support and advice we're getting around us now. You know, even just being in like a networking room and, and being around, you know, like-minded, smart, um, professional, uh, happy, positive people who are building their businesses is really good for our mindset. I think sometimes we can be around, uh, you know, our friends and family can be the wrong people to be getting that advice and support from. Uh, you know, it's like getting your COVID advice off Facebook. It's not a great place to get <laughs> your uh, your COVID uh, information from. I'd be going to more reputable sources about that sort of stuff. So it's the same with business. And it's interesting, you know, like uh, I talked about before my success and my failures, so I can link to the people in the, um, that are around me. Um, and it's really easy to, to look at and, and to, I rattled off all that stuff before about this business and that business. It's really easy to go, wow, like coolies, you know, it's pretty easy to to do all that when you've obviously had all that success um, and, and stacking all that up makes it look pretty good. But, you know, there's just as many challenges in amongst all that as there is uh, success. And I've been really fortunate because I've had more wins than losses. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the losses are the things that stop us in our tracks. And there's only you know one way to go when you've been hit in the face with a sledgehammer. You can go down or you can get back up again. You can keep slogging through. Um, so I've had some pretty challenging times in business. Uh, but it's only through having the right people around me at that time that have allowed me to learn and grow and to, and to step up uh, when those challenges hit and to move through it and to achieve, you know, the success that's waiting around the corner for you as well. Uh, I guess the, the, the one thing, there's an analogy I love that's a real coaching analogy. Um, and Terry Hawkins, who's one of the mentors I've had around me, she's amazing. And she said that um, often when we're in the thick of, of adversity, it's like being down in a pit, uh, like a hole. And when you're in the pit, you can't see um, what's happening either side or around the pit. You can see straight up, but you can't see around. Uh, and so you need somebody else who can see a bigger picture, who can see further into the future than you can to help you out of that pit. So one, they're, they're going to put their hand down and give you some strategies and support and and what an encouragement to help you get out of the pit um, so you can get out. But two, while you're in there, they'll be helping you see forward because when you're down in the pit and struggling, you can't see forward. It's not a good time to make decisions. Uh, and this is why people ultimately commit suicide. Like mental health, we know, is a major, major problem in Australia and, and around the globe. And, uh, you know, they said that uh, during the last 12 months, uh, they did a study of Victorians that said one in 10 Victorians uh, has contemplated suicide in the past 12 months, one in 10. It's a pretty big number of people. Like it blows my mind every time I say that. But we know that there, when you're in the pit, and you can't see out and you can't see the future, then you feel like there's no way out, there's no path forward. And, and, and I always reflect back on that and think that business is very much like that. We fall into a pit a lot in business. 
because we're often running so hard we miss it we fall in and we get you know the sledgehammer in the face so if you don't have good people around you and supports and coaches and and mentors then who who is going to help you out of that pit and so it's really important and and i think the point you made before too is you know super relevant around this is that often and, and certainly i found this myself you know you go into business potentially run multiple businesses you've been around that a lot doesn't necessarily mean that your family and your immediate friends actually have the experience to to assist you with that. So you, your traditional support networks, the traditional people that you speak to, you know, that know your deepest, darkest secrets and you you on the absolute depths of your soul are sometimes completely incapable of actually giving you the appropriate advice. Totally. So being yeah. mindful of who you ask for, you know, you can ask them and they'll do their best, but it doesn't necessarily mean they can help you navigate out of that ditch. Absolutely. You know, and you want to get advice from people who are living the life that you want to live. So if you're a, your accountant, this is not the sledge on accountants, but if your accountant isn't living the lifestyle that you want to live, then perhaps getting advice from that person is not the best person to get advice from. It's, it's like if you're if you want to be in a happy, successful marriage, Sure, you're going to learn off someone who's uh, been divorced or had unsuccessful marriages, but you also want to be getting advice from people who have had successful marriages. So you've got to just look around you and think about who you're getting your advice from. Absolutely. Yeah. but And that's another interesting point too, because even those who've had that successful marriage, absolutely, 100% guaranteed, they have had problems on their way, right? But they've, but they've successfully navigated those problems, right? They've actually run the gauntlet, they've got through the problem and, and managed to go on and continue to have success. And I guess that's what we're trying to learn to do, right, is to navigate those traps in life and in business so that we can actually achieve what we want to achieve. Absolutely. I think all of us in a, in a successful relationship can look look at uh, the, there's challenges all the way along and uh, whether that's business or life or whatever, but it's certainly even I can look at the marriage that I've had and I've been married now. Uh, we got married in the year 2000, a nice and easy date to remember, so 21 years ago. Uh, and, you know, like if you if you want to have a successful relationship, you've got to work through the challenges and, and we've had our fair share and we've worked through them, but it makes you stronger. Business is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, talk to me a little bit. I, I know you mentioned the payroll company, and and I believe you've uh, you've recently exited that business. I have actually pretty exciting. Uh, so I started it as I mentioned back in uh, two thousand and four, two thousand and five, off the back of uh, opening actually two thousand and five, off the back of opening my first business, um, and uh, as I mentioned, I was rostering a payroll business to support uh, mainly retail and hospitality. Ended up being sold into lots of Subway restaurants. That was really kind of the kicker. I had great um, influence in that community being a franchisee with multiple shops and through conferences and all the things. And we people just end up buying it. In fact, staff, my staff are probably the best salespeople because they'd go work for someone else um, and uh, will help out another shop or something like that. And then they'd end up talking about this rostering apparel. This, the manager or owner would ring me and say, oh, how do I get access to that? And I, said, and I started selling it and that's how it sort of grew off the back of that. And uh, it, it grew quite fast actually. And uh, I was actually, when I was first opening my businesses, I was actually the GM for this business that owned the uh, 40 video shops. And um, there was two team members that worked for me there. I had, uh, um, they're both uh, area leaders, area managers. They used to run uh, multiple groups each, uh, multiple stores each. (laughs) I keep flicking from BX language to video still language. So area managers as opposed to area leaders and stores instead of groups. So amazing the synergies between the two. But um, there's two people, Rob and Carl, they were running uh, 
as area managers, they were running uh, groups of uh, stores. So they had probably, you know, five, six stores or whatever it was and were amazing employees. Uh, and um, over the, the probably a period of about four or five years, uh, we brought both of those on to full time. Uh, and they, one was like a gun salesperson, one was like a gun ops person. Uh, and we really grew and scaled that over about five years, uh, five, six, seven years. And then we realized that we just needed some equity in it. So by year 10, we uh, had they'd been on with me for about six years and we decided we just needed more money, more cash flow. Um, it was a tech business. Tech had really taken a shift over sort of that period of time, you know, Facebook and everything and the apps and um, all that. You can imagine how far we've come from uh, in just a space of sort of 15 years. Um, now there's lots of things like this online, but we've just had the advantage of time and growth. Uh, so what happened is we then... Uh, went out to the marketplace and uh, we, we found some good mentors to help us do this. We went out to the marketplace, uh, found some people with money basically who invested in the company. Uh, so we watered down all of our shares and they bought in over the years as well, uh, smart as they were to buy in over the years. Uh, and then we uh, brought some equity partners in. So we met a gentleman called Anthony who uh, had some guys that he knew, some other contacts he knew through some equity raises he'd done. They bought into the business. We raised several million bucks to then take the business to the next level. Uh, and the concept was we, we couldn't exit the company or do anything like that uh, through the, um, the next five years. Uh, and so that was six years ago. And uh, uh, through COVID, IWS did particularly well. We actually um, grew uh, we continue to grow. We've supported our clients and we uh, had some pretty spectacular growth over that five years and continue adding value to the business. Uh, and then uh, in 2020, we actually uh, were looking at what our opportunities were, whether we're going to uh, publicly list or sell to a public company. And we had a, a public company that uh, started negotiations on buying us. Uh, and one of the big things, as you know about, if you're a public company, the best way to grow um, is not to you know sell more of what you do, but to buy companies that do what you do and buy their business size. And, uh, and if they're uh, private companies and you take them under your public uh infrastructure, business structure, uh, then, you know, you're actually proportionally, disproportionately growing according to what you're spending on it to get it. Um, in That's layman's terms, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so just to just to unpack that, because this, this has certainly come up on, on previous episodes of, of our show, but, um, but for those who are listening and, and sort of wondering, well, how does that work? So um, we're talking in terms of value here, right? So, you know, if you look at a lot of companies on the ASX, the ASX 200, a lot of them are trading at various sort of price to earnings ratios. So in other words, a multiple of their profit, right? And so it went, for anybody who wants to go and look it up, you'll see lots of companies out there trading at 15, 20, even 25 times. Now, to, to the average guy in the street, that means it'll take you 25 years to get your money back. Um, now, kind of an odd concept, right? Because I don't see anybody doing that. Um, but if you're a listed company and you're trading at 20 times your net profit, and you can go and buy another company at, say, five times their net profit and just simply add their revenue and profit to your numbers. Well, after it's taken a year to go through the wash, well, presto, right? Like <laughs> that, that business is now worth five times what you pay for it. That's right. So it's, it's a wonderful approach and why so many acquisitions happen from the listed space. And so it's brilliant from a private company's perspective because if we would have sold IWS to a, um, a private buyer, 
they would have bought us from multiple, but say that multiple's three to five, which is pretty standard, right? Three to five, somewhere in there. If you some businesses, if you're lucky, some businesses you might be able to get more, and it's and sometimes um, you know, there's a few other metrics that you can use. But generally, if you said three to five, it'd be kind of pretty normal. Uh, but if you sell to a public company who know they're going to get 10 to 20 uh, times multiple when when they've acquired that business, they're prepared to negotiate somewhere between five and 10. And that's typically what happens. So it's great from the element of the uh, person selling, but it's also great for the person who's buying because it's a great value exchange. It's a real win-win situation. So if you're running a business and and typically you have to get up into that strong um, uh, seven-figure realm on an annual basis to make you know, to be worth acquiring. Uh, so very rarely would there be something of a small nature. It needs to be up in the, you know, decent seven figures to then be able to uh, have something worth acquiring. But usually, you know, if you're doing several mil to 10 or 15 or 20 mil in turnover um, in that realm there, it's an acquisition that can take place pretty easily. Um, if you got yourself to 50 mil um, and you're doing above that, it's, it, it becomes a pretty massive purchase. So there's this sweet spot where you, and and the other thing I believe is that if you're if you get your business into seven figures, which is a great place to be because I think seven figures is like a glass ceiling for many people. You break through that, and your next one, two, three million, four million, five million. When you, as you're growing your business up to that level, there, um, the mindset shift is is crazy, right? Because you can't run your business the same. You can't run even a seven-figure business the same way you run a six-figure business. Even going from like 900K to a million K, there's this shift that needs to happen and you need to be constantly shifting, but it's this big mental shift that needs to happen. But so you even think about getting to that growth stage of doing five to 10 to 15 to 20 million is is almost impossible and elusive for a lot of business owners. But to be able to sell is gives you some amazing opportunities and and we did that and so um look to be honest i can't take too much credit because i stepped out of the managing director role when we did the uh initial equity raise five years ago um and i've been involved as a shareholder through that period for the last five years uh and involved in the the process but not um certainly not strategically directing the process uh so I, i've had a great role because i haven't had to do much work so i mentioned it was because li- it's listed it was in the public space i presume so can you share yes. the, the transaction size uh so yeah you, if you google it you find out so uh it sold for about 16 million dollars which um is pretty good numbers and pretty exciting numbers from my perspective um so keeping in mind like you know people you know, people judge in in certain situations. They judge on figures and stuff like that. But uh, I, I didn't start with um, any nest egg that from uh, deceased parents. My, both my parents and are all alive, um, and uh, and I didn't start with any money. All I did was work super hard. I bought my first home when I was uh, twenty, and um, we paid that off. And or you know, we actually built other uh, bought other homes at the same time and stuff like that. And did the whole smart thing with property. Um, and then I did the, probably the unsmart thing and started doing business um, off the back of <laughs> I should have just done property. But um, but I built the wealth that uh, I've gotten. And I think that, you know, people can look and go, oh, well, you know, they've been lucky. But I'll tell you what, I've lost uh, millions of dollars as well in, in transactions and things that have gone on over the years and and from people doing the wrong thing in business, bias. Uh, but, you know, like I said, you just got to have enough wins. And we've, we've had some pretty good ones. I, uh, one of my subways 
was one of the top ten in, in New South Wales as well, and and um, you know that um, selling that was a was a great experience for us. You know, when you build something and you create something that gets a pretty high ticket price, and that would that would be up there in in terms of um, sale prices from a subway perspective as well. Uh, so you just got to have more wins than losses. I've closed shops as well, you know, like leases have fallen over and I had to close shops and things like that. So, you know, it's it's really easy to go to think that what that person's done is um, not cap- you're not capable of doing or that's just they were lucky or whatever. Um, but I, I don't think luck is anything to do with business. You know, I don't think the saying the harder I work, the luckier I get is true either. You've just got to make more good decisions than bad decisions and you've got to get up more times and you, you get knocked down. Yeah, uh, look, and I think that's spot on and, and make congratulations on the sale. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think our, certainly our audience would be celebrating it and, you know, um, certainly very happy for, for the success that you've had as with all of our guests. Um, you know, I think it's you, you learn, right? You keep learning and evolving and that's that's not just our job in business. It's actually our job as human beings. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's so, it's, it is when you've created something from scratch and you've been the, the founder and you've been the director and the CEO or whatever through that period of time. Uh, and then to be able to hand that over at some point as well. And that was a growth, that was a shift for me to be able to go, I'll step back out of my role here because this needs someone to be fully invested, 100% committed to this only, and I was doing other stuff, Um, you know, that's a real mental shift. And um, so there's been some pretty big lessons in there, but you can see that the payoff uh, has been worth that, um, that stretch as well. No, that's awesome. And so 16 million transaction, what, what was the multiple on that? It, was it a multiple of EBITDA? Is that how they worked it out? Or Yeah, so it, on, a, on a couple of different fronts, it was basically – so if the, the business on, on a, was looked at from a trajectory point of view and, and the growth uh, trajectory we had because we've been growing uh, quite rapidly as well um, and very consistent growth and, uh, and, and realizing the goals that we've had along the way as well. So being able to show that is huge, but also being able to show that you've got profit. Uh, so the profit the profit uh, multiple it was, uh, was actually probably uh, about ten times, and the uh, but then the you know so th- th- that's probably about um, so if they're going to do somewhere between ten and twenty times when they absorb it from them that's a good perspective uh, from us um, it's a great perspective but we also like there's a. I don't know how much of it is disclosed online or not now, but um, <laughs> got to be careful. But um, it, it certainly um, it's a public company, so um, yeah. it's all been absorbed in there. But it's pretty exciting to be able to take a business from that is just an idea to somewhere something that is worth that value to somebody down the track as well. Yeah. Oh, look, and I love the fact that you did it to solve a problem for yourself. It's just that you solved the problem so damn well. Everybody else wanted the same solution, and that's you know that's the beauty of business, right? Got to feed a hungry crowd. Yeah, I, I think the other thing, just I, I want to sort of touch on there quickly that, that you mentioned, which I think is fantastic. I mean, a 10-time multiple, I mean, congrats, mate. I mean, look, that's, that, that is a, a brilliant result. But also just what you were saying there about the acquirers were very much looking at the forward curve. You know, and I think this is, this is I think, a message that I really want our listeners to hear is that you've got to have a good story around your numbers. You've got to have... Be able to tell the forward story. Where's this going? Because people aren't buying your history, even though they might come up with a multiple of historical numbers. At the end of the day, they're buying your future stream of revenue and profits. So 
What's the story around that? And and by the sounds of it, Matt, you know you, the business you had there was growing. It had a, a great forward trajectory. So even though they were paying ten times, and they would you know make that money back fairly quickly in terms of you know their their own sort of price earnings ratios and all the rest of it. If the fact is that if the business grows by thirty percent per annum after that, they're, they're literally going to make their money back in actual cash very very quickly. It won't take them ten years to to get that sort of ROI. So I guess with with any business, and I know that through IWS, for the other shops I've sold, that the story is the the most important element to it. Uh, yes, people look at your sales and they will, and they look at your profit, and they come up with multiples, and that's part of the negotiation process. Uh, but I've sold businesses that don't have profit, and I've sold them for value, which means that profit has is no relevance in that conversation at all. But being able to sell the story of where it's going and what the potential is adds a value in as well. And it's that combination. Uh, and so I know that when you have that relationship with a broker, someone who's able to help you articulate that story, then that is so important because I think I probably had three or four different brokers that I've worked with um, in selling the businesses. And some were really good and some were not good. Uh, and that it's amazing how that dictates the result. Uh, but I also know that the sooner I engaged them, the better the results I got. So if I was desperate to sell, and there's some that I was like, I've got to get, I just, I'm done. I'm, I want that, rid of that one. Uh, we're moving on. That is not a good place to be selling a business. The best place is, you know, one to two years before you're thinking of selling to be putting some things in place um, to make that happen because your financials are such a crucial part of it anyway. If you can uh, look at your financials and financials are just a statement, uh, you know, the numbers that you can play with and move around your financials are uh, open for discussion until you lodge your bazes and your tax returns. So if you're having those conversations two, uh, one to two years out, you can be making that story tell the right story as well. Uh, like I know there's lots of people that, you know, the way they pay themselves and the way they take money out of the business, um, that's that's not telling the story that you necessarily want to tell. Um, some people don't pay themselves at all and, and there's, that's telling a whole different story. So you need to really engage with the right person to help you create the story for your business that's going to um, look great. Um, in the past, as well as look great into the future, and uh, and 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 those key people, I think uh, the story I think that uh, IWS had that really uh, I think set it apart more than anything else was it had uh, an infrastructure that wasn't reliant on um, any one person that was a scalable solution that could grow, that could double quite quickly and um, have, and the people that were in the business could scale that quite quickly. Uh, one of the things we did very early on was open an office in India and uh, we, the value of that meant that we could grow really easily by just bringing on more and more people into that and having that really systemized back-end process um, with a low cost base to it. Um, we actually had people being paid probably double what they would normally be paid, but it was about half what we'd be paying them if they were in Australia. So that gave us scalability that many people didn't have, and we did that over 10 years ago as well. And, and those kinds of things, you know, what story are you painting for your business that gives you the scalable, exciting future that someone wants to buy into that's going to give them a return on their investment? Like that's that's crucial. And the best person, like this is no plug for Simon, but it is a plug for Simon. <laughs> that you've got to have a you've got to have someone like that, a mentor or someone who's an expert in this space to help you craft that story and well in advance of when you're selling the business. 
No, well, I, I, I certainly appreciate the uh, the plug anyway, Matt. But and thank you. <laughs> but but, but the, the, the advice is certainly that right. I mean, don't, don't wait till you wake up one day and you say, "I'm over it. I just want out." You know, I mean, we talk a lot about on this show about working with the end in mind and building a business that's saleable, right? Um, even if you and, and by the way, this is a very common reaction for people is that once they start making changes in their business to to put it into a position where it's saleable. In many cases, people actually fall in love with their business again and they don't want to sell and they no longer want to exit because they're loving it again. And I think that's a fabulous outcome. You know, it's almost coming full circle here, Matt, but one of the things I loved what you said at the beginning of this uh, this show was that you love doing what you do. And I'm just such a big believer that when you love what you do, it's it's not like work. It's it's just enjoyable, uh, an enjoyable way to spend your time. Absolutely, you've 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 got to love what you do, right? Like that's, that's I think in anything, any part of life, if you if you're not enjoying it, if you're not if your heart's not in it, you're not going to get the results for it, and uh, and you've got to know that. And if you if it starts to fade, uh, and you don't believe you can reinvigorate it, then that's a good time to move on. I think the best. Uh, I used to say, I don't know if it's wrong or right, but I used to say that the the most money you'll ever make in retail is when you sell the business. Uh, I still probably think I, I believe that because uh, the most money I ever made was when I sold them, as opposed to when I ran them. But I think if you, you know, if you're working in one retail shop and you own one retail shop, you can make really good money out of it. But as you start to expand, they're very expensive businesses to run, um, and there's not a lot of margin in them. Uh, but there is a lot of profit in it when you sell them, and uh, uh, they run their best when you love them. And any that's any business, uh, and but you want to be able to swing your legs out of bed in the morning and be excited to go to work as well. Yeah, indeed, mate. Tell us a little bit where where what's next for BX? Where are you taking this? Is is there an end game in mind, or is it just all growth? Or you know, where where are you headed? Totally. So pretty exciting. Um, I don't know how much I'm supposed to say about this the stuff as well, I, but I, I tell people because I get excited. Uh, we kick off in New Zealand officially next month. We've been uh, we're a year late on that one there, but we're uh, actually at the end of this month. So next week. So on the 29th and 30th, we're over in uh, Wellington and Auckland, and we've got about 10 groups scheduled to launch um, over the next probably four or five months in New Zealand. Uh, and that's exciting. Uh, that's our first global uh, launch. Unfortunately, I'm stuck in lockdown in Sydney. So our ops director, uh, Loz, Lorraine McKenzie, uh, who I know you know well, Simon, uh, she's flying over to New Zealand to do the launch for us next week. I'll still be, you know, I'll be watching from home. <laughs> um, but uh, we also are kicking off in the US online. And, and through COVID, we really amped up our online. We've been doing it for a few years, but really stepped up our online deliverable. And, and uh, it's been fantastic, R- really well received across our community um, and substantial growth outside of where we were locally located. And so that's been exciting, which has given us the platform to launch in the US uh, in October. So we kick off officially uh, in October in the US online. Uh, and we, we're calling it the US, but the reality is that that will spread across the globe as well because we're already um, in about well, probably seven or eight different countries just from last year's COVID, people inviting people. Um, but the most exciting thing is the face-to-face launch next year. We will be kicking off BX uh, face-to-face local events uh, in Austin in the US as our first start starting point, uh, and then we'll be franchising across the country uh, regions as well um, through 2022. So that's that's 
pretty exciting stuff. So we're, you know, we're a couple of thousand members now on BX. We're expecting in the next two years, we'll probably be at 20,000 members or more. Uh, so pretty fast trajectory there. Um, and what's what I love about that is that, um, you know, yes, that's great for BX, but it's also great for our members. Every member that joins BX adds value to every membership. It creates a gr- global connectivity more so than any other networking opportunity, I think, out there. Uh, when you are a member of BX, you've got that global uh, membership it lets you network anywhere with anyone in the network and and you know as that grows it just creates so many more opportunities which is pretty exciting Mate, that's kind of congratulations. Where we are. Yeah. yeah that's fantastic it's very exciting and I, I I just love the fact that your entire value prop is actually just based on other people getting value and, and it's putting those those business owners first and you know I think the world could do with a little bit more of that so uh, so mate congratulations I'm going to ask you I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you if there's, there is you know you've shared so many tips today and I don't know if there's one tip that you would share with our listeners um, that uh, for them to take away but before I put you on the spot and ask you about that perhaps are you happy for people to reach out to you or where where can people find out more information yeah, absolutely. So our website is bxnetworking.com. There's lots of info on that site there. Uh, but if you're thinking you'd like to come check out a BX meeting, uh, you can certainly jump onto our website and find where the locations are. But if you send an email to matt.alderton at b-x.com.au, then we'll uh, we'll hook you up with a free break or lunch or dinner at um, your local event there as well. Uh, if we've got no locals, we'll bring you along to one of our online events and, and show you that. So we'll shout your brekkie lunch or dinner at one of your locals. Uh, so that's matt.alderton at b-x.com.au. If you can't find that, um, I'm sure Simon will have show notes somewhere there. But if you can't find that, just bxnetworking.com. There's a contact us there. Just say Matt offered to shout me uh, our local and uh, we'll hook you up there as well. But, um, yeah, I, 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 we'd love to have you along. We'd love to have you try it out. Uh, whether you come and join, doesn't matter. Uh, every person that comes along to a BX becomes part of our community one way or another. You'll meet a bunch of other exceptional business owners and, and get an opportunity to market your business and, and be connected with other exceptional business owners as well. Uh, that's awesome, yeah. and I'm sure you can uh, you can always follow Matt on LinkedIn as well. He's always uh, putting out in- interesting information, so uh, find him on LinkedIn. Um, Matt, is there one tip that you'd share with our listeners? Oh, I think I'd run with the theme that uh, we've had today, and that's have that uh, expert person around you, the coach, that mentor, that advisor. Um, doesn't have to always be the same person, uh, but certainly make sure you have somebody that can level you up and then and help you get the most out of your business and life. Uh, so that could just be a business coach, straight business coach. It could be a, a mentor or somebody who's got more experience in the space that you're working in. And uh, you know, certainly if you're selling your business, then speak to this man. <laughs> <laughs> and and hey, and if nothing else, surround yourself with other business owners who are on the journey, right? Totally. People who can be there and support you. So, mate, there's been so much to unpack from this show. It's been great. I'm sure people will get a lot of value out of it. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thanks, Simon. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game.
To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.